Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Undermine Season 4. We're in Episode 8. I can't believe we're already in Episode 8. I'm Tom Marshall, and I'm also your fish tour guide as we travel back in time to Destination 1.0. This season, we'll be visiting several shows from the early and mid-90s on Fish's Road to the tour that changed everything, Fall 1997. And when we arrive there, we'll stop and look at every show of that tour on the show's anniversary. We're honored to be your companion on this ride as we all go back and listen to those groundbreaking shows. My co-host for today is Osiris co-founder and HF Pod host, RJB. Hi, RJ. How are you? Hey, Tom. I'm good. Um, we have an amazing episode today and a guest who we work with almost every day. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a second. But first, um, Tom and I just wanted to say something. We had a, a a good friend and coworker from Osiris, Brad Stratton, who passed away suddenly the other day. He he was the lead uh, audio engineer on Sugar Maple and um, our show we did with Lit called My Own Worst Enemy, Breaking Wave, Seattle, many, many shows. He was an amazing guy and um, really helped us, I think, learn a lot and up our game about audio. And um, we wouldn't be where we are without him. And um, so we just want to say 
say that, you know, rest in peace, Brad. And Brad was a big lover of, of beer. I had a lot of beers with him over the years. And so I just want to, I, I have a beer for this episode and I just want to make a toast. I think Tom does as well. I have a beer as well. And I'd also like to say Brad was a perfectionist and uh, everything that he was involved with, he made sure was as good as possible. He never, ever compromised. And uh, you can hear it in his work. He he was part of what made our podcast good. And we're going to miss him. Um, and rest in peace, Brad. And we're thinking about you and your family. Cheers. Okay. So, Tom, today we are talking about what I think is a seminal moment in fish history. It's when a New Year's Eve run that kind of elevated this 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 whole career, I think, setting a new precedent for New Year's Eve, setting a new precedent for the band, raising the bar for them in a lot of ways. So we're going to travel back in time to Worcester, Mass on December 31st, 1993. Um, there was a lot that was special about this particular New Year's Eve, um, as well as the night before, 1230 from Portland, Maine. This was a radio broadcast. I remember the tapes that I had because of the radio broadcast, the, the sound was crystal clear. And at, after the opening, after the opening llama, Trey says, everybody in yet? And it's just like, it's so, when I listen back to this show, every single moment of it is burned into my memory. So we are going to bring on our friend who's, this happened to be his first fish show. And that person is named Benji Eisen. So we're going to bring him in. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, well, I was also going to say, as I bring Benji in from the waiting room, um, that Benji was there and I was also there. And we might have evidence of that uh, if you listen carefully to the antelope. But we can talk about that later. If you've listened to the past couple seasons of Undermine, then you're already familiar with today's guest. He's been our head writer since season two, and he's currently an executive producer of the show. But more visibly, he's often my co-host. He's written about fish for Rolling Stone and many other publications over the years, and he's worked directly with Trey during Fare Thee Well. And having a show host as our special guest feels a little bit like cheating, but welcome back, Benji. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Hi, RJ. Hey, man. Good to see you on this side of the mic or this side of the camera or whatever it is. It's good to be here together. You know, yeah. You. yeah, we're yeah. all on the same side of the table. So the table's like leaning this way, which is, <laughs> which is weird. You've seen close to four, 400 shows, uh, but you always remember your first. And 1231.93 was your first? It was. Uh, my first was supposed to be earlier that summer. I had tickets to Wolf Trap and I, I made it so far as the parking lot in a misadventure delayed my uh, first show until until this time. However, what that did, though, is in the interim between then, I became a fish fan after I was supposed to see them and didn't at Wolf Trap. And right before this, so going into New Year's Eve 93, I knew nothing about Game Hanger, nothing about fish lore or culture, but I had at that point been familiar with, with Junta and uh, with Picture of Nectar. Got it. And talking about firsts, um, I believe uh, all the shows that we've covered, and uh, we're now on episode eight, as, as I mentioned, um, I went to one surrounding the shows in some cases, like the State Theater before the show that we talked about with Brad Sands at the um, Fieldhouse in New Hampshire. Um, but I was not at any of the shows so far until this one. So this is also a first for me, Benji, 
I saw you there, even though I didn't know you or meet you yet, and we'll get to that. <laughs> Did I have a ticket stub in my hand? Uh, I don't believe so, no. You had a microphone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Benji, what was the... so? We, we should talk about 1230 as well, and we'll talk about the music, but um, what was the scene like as you rolled into the Centr Worcester Centrum? I mean, this is like a, this is a big show for Fish. I assume it was a big show for, for a lot of fans. Yeah, so uh, going into it, you know, a big theme for this night that plays into the entire, the way the entire night un unfolded for me was just I had no context, it being my first Fish show. However, I did see... You know, this was New Year's Eve 93, so I had been seeing The Grateful Dead for uh, since 91. So I was acclimated to the idea of the scene. You know, uh, um, however, my impression going into the Worcester Centrum that night was it was cold. It was really, really cold. I think there was, I think it was snow on the ground if, it, if, if there weren't flurries in the air. But I remember, uh, oh man, this is one of those rare shows where I can remember the parking lot we parked in and the, the, the entrance that I went into. And because of how freezing cold it was outside, I remember there was an issue getting inside, which I think Trey even recognizes from the stage. Everybody in yet? So I didn't really see any vending or any visible signs until leaving. When I left that night, I remember people were selling things like bumper stickers that said free game henge. And I had no idea what that meant. I just thought it confirmed my suspicion that this band invented their own universe and certainly yeah, their own language. Their, their own religion. Yeah. Yeah, their so, own religion. I, I totally. always wonder I always wondered when uh, you know, when that special language worked perfectly and especially the one where they do that do 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 and everyone and sometimes or or when people all turn around the turn, turn, turn one, um, that people coming to their first show they must just wonder how in the world could what just happened happen. And, and, and you had like that happening uh, in spades because this was New Year's Eve and there was also a gag happening. So, that, so you must have thought every show was like that. Tell us about the New Year's Eve gag. That's right. Well, so I walk into the venue and, you know, like I said, I'd been familiar. I, I had some live tapes, but I, the, a lot of it was like filler, Ungrateful Dead tapes and things like that. So I, I would say that Junta was what captivated me, and uh, and and you enjoy myself uh, particularly. But but uh, then this does answer your question. But Llama, the first time I heard I heard Fish was was Picture of Nectar, and they they were described to me as a Grateful Dead version of Red Hot Chili Peppers, which makes no sense. But then the first song's Llama, and I, and that actually kind of does make sense. And the first song this night was Llama, but uh, but um, which I thought was a nice little you know synchronicity. But overall, walking into it, the, the, the stage looked like an aquarium and not in the way that Madison Store Garden was turned into an aquarium uh, this past April because the entire venue was. But this night, it was just the stage. It looked like a fish tank. There was, you know, like seaweed uh, and things like that over the amplifiers and over the monitors, rather, on the floor, uh, a giant clamshell. And... Without any context, I thought, oh, this is Fish's, this is their production. This is what they do. This is their touring setup. And then for the gag, by the end of You Enjoying Myself, which of course I was thrilled to hear live, that being the song that grabbed me in, by the end of it, they put on a wetsuit. Uh, and, and I'm like, oh, this is obviously, this is just, you know, normal fare for the band. And then, uh, and also it being my first show, I, I, I'll, you know, I'll say that I was, I was definitely on psychedelics. 
and and you know young and starry eyed. And so for New Year's Eve, in between sets, you know they they had this thing on the PA system right before new, the actual New Year's gag, and that's that they had these like burbling bubbles sounding like underwater. I thought that Fish had this technology that turned the entire arena into a, this underwater, you know, like sound. So, you know, and I had, I, at this point, I lost my friends. They were up on the 100 section and I just was so enthralled with the music from the very beginning note that somehow I ended up in the front 10 rows. In a, and this was, this was not general admission. There were seats and somehow I had a seat. Like, I don't know. It just was like one of these magical things. I was like within 10 rows, a seat to myself, but no one I knew around me. And I, all I could hear from the chatter was blah, 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 blah. So when people tried to be nice to me and ask me questions, I figured I'll play along. And I looked at them and I'd be like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, which yeah. I probably shouldn't have said, but that that's that's fine. That's how the night went. And then they came down from the ceiling in these wetsuits and swam down. And uh, all in, they entered the clam once they got to the 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 uh, the ground, the the bottom of the aquarium, as it were. And the clam rises up, and uh, you know, explodes as Happy New Years, and the band's on stage jamming. Then I realized, well, that part is the gag. <laughs> you know, that part's special for New Year's Eve. But the <laughs> aquarium, I I left that night thinking, yeah, they they play in an aquarium, and and they set everything up like an aquarium, and they sing about down beneath the seaweed and the slime. <laughs> you must so have been so disappointed when you went to your next show. You were, you were asking people like blah 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 blah, like, like <laughs> <laughs> and where's the where's the aquarium? Everyone was probably yeah. like, uh, who is this guy? Totally. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Benji, let's well, we should talk a little bit about just about 1993 because we've done a few other shows uh, from '93, and this was like a huge, huge year. Um, I think in the 1230 and 1231-93 shows, I hear a lot of of uh, progression, you know, even from, from spring and summer 93. It seems like they were just progressing so fast. And this this whole show sounds like a celebration. Um looking back on it now, how do you how do you think this falls in like the history of, of fish in terms of a, a New Year's show and kind of the end of a big year? I think Trey actually uh, accidentally summarizes it at the very end of this night because he says, well, it's been 10 years for us. And, I, you know, at the time that blew my mind too because they were a brand new phenomenon for me. You know, I had been aware of them for, for less than a year. So, but it also explained why they could be an arena and why everyone seemed to know the secret language and a secret handshake, you know, uh, metaphorically speaking. And, and then Trey says, you know, I hope you'll be with us for another 10 more. And of course, here we are 30 years later, almost uh, still listening. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I thought it was a punctuation mark on, you know, and, and now that I've gone back and, and obsessively heard, you know, hours and hours and hours of fish before this night, uh, I think it, it, it does sum up 1993 really well, but it also is a very good uh, summation of the first 10 years of the band. I mean, I think Amy's Farm was the first summation and, and, and a, a great, you know, uh, landmark you know goalpost or whatever and then this one and after after new year's eve 93 if you wanted to introduce somebody to fish and you wanted to kind of show off what they can do musically you probably would give them 12 31 93 with the companion of 12 30 that we're about to talk about because that one also has the colonel forbin narration which to me was such a a wonderful side of fish 
that, you know, just to me played to all the the things that they ever wanted out of a band that they could jam and yet they didn't take themselves too seriously. They could tell these psychedelic stories. And then later on in 1230 and from Portland, they do Purple Rain. So, you know, but with Fishman doing it and the vacuum cleaner solo. So after doing a mic song and some like amazing improvisational music, then they also have this humorous side where they show that they don't take themselves too seriously while playing really serious music. And that to me just checked all the boxes. That makes so much, that makes a lot of sense. I think the 1230 show, there's a little bit more um, like serious improv in there. You know, I, I think to me, the Bowie and the Mikes stand out as really like what, what those two songs would become in terms of improv, you know, like the, the Bowie feels light years ahead of even the, the 5893 Bowie that we talked about with Brad and the Mikes has this thrilling melodic jam that almost is like extending the way that they think about improv in, in that particular song. I feel like those two songs on 1230 are really representative of where those both will go in 94, which is like so far beyond that. RJ, you're right. In the 1230 uh, Bowie that you're talking about, the previous show that we did here at Undermine with the Murat Jin also has a Bowie that is phenomenal and long. And if you listen to that and then you listen to this with the, the Dream On, and I, I think it really shows Fish's flexibility at the time and how when they were improvising, they weren't just taking, uh, they weren't just changing up their solo. They were actually improvising. Tom, we need to hear about your experience from 1231. Maybe we should take, should we take a quick break before we get into this? Cause, cause Tom has a slightly different experience from us, um, from, from 123193. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's take a break. Um, like any good, um, TV show, we, we teased what's about to happen. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back with all this and more. And we are back, and I'm here with my co-host, RJB, and our special guest today is Benji Eisen. Uh, Benji, we are talking about the 1230 and also the 1231 shows, um, and could you give us highlights, I think specifically from the New Year's show? Well, from the New Year's show, I think that the... Uh, the obvious highlight to me was that they did uh, a Down with Disease jam out of Old Lane Sign that was, at the time, nobody knew what it was. It was Fish from the Future, which I think is the point of them playing it, right? You know, in the 
very beginning, the first minute of the new year, uh, a song that would become so important to them uh, beginning that year. And then the other thing too was Frank Zappa had died earlier that month uh, in early December and they played Peaches and Regalia, but then it became a recurring theme throughout the show and they teased it multiple times. And I think that, you know, as an, as an homage to Frank Zappa, I didn't know that at the time. I thought it was a, a, a riff that Fish had, had created. And so there was also that double layer for me of later on discovering that. Um, but, you know, th there's, there are just a, a lot of highlights. And I'll tell you another one was, was uh, when I saw them, when they played Run Like an Antelope live. And Tom, I know that, you know, I, I know that today I'm not the co-host, I'm, I'm the guest, but I've got a question for you uh, on the subject of being a special guest. Uh, you know, as we said, this was my first show, so everything was kind of brand new to me, and I didn't really know how typical fish shows went. I didn't even know that they had a lyricist like the Grateful Dead had Robert Hunter. But all of a sudden, uh, you know, they're playing this run like an antelope. They're blowing my mind with it. And then, you know, I saw you. I think I maybe even heard your name when when Trey pulled you on stage and he said, here to sing the first lyrics he ever wrote for Fish, which, of course... <laughs> as you know, was. I'll say it. Rai Rai Rocco, Marco Escondolas. Been you to have any spike, man. There well, we go. Yeah, well, the, actually, there's a lot of things I have to say about this. First of all, I don't think that they're the first lyrics I ever wrote for Fish. Um, they may have been the first recorded. No, no. Uh, I think the first I ever wrote might be Mackie Super Policeman. And then Trey and I, you know, way back uh, before even Fish, I think, had been uh, drumming on the rhombus and coming up with, like, Divided Sky. And then, like, in his dad's um, basement, we did uh, Iculus or McGrupp. But it all blends together in my head. But the interesting thing about this song is I get credit for, for this, this song. But this is really a dude of life Steve Pollock and Trey song, The Antelope. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And that was uh, in Trey's basement, I think in 1983 or uh, late 82 or 83, when he all of a sudden said, there needs to be something right here and shoved a mic in my face um, after I think, uh, you know, a bong hit or something. And uh, I was in the room with Dobbs, Mark Daubert, who uh, eventually wrote with Trey the Curtain and became the band's first percussionist, along with Fishman, um, uh, in Burlington a little bit later. But he was standing there, and I had no idea what to say. And I just said, for some reason, Rai Rai Raco. And I looked at Mark, and I said, Marco Esquandolas. And again, I don't know why. And then I said, Bin you to have any spleef, man? Like the, the Rasta spliff? Spleef. But then the weird thing is, anytime Trey ever said it on stage, as far as I know, um, he said spike instead of spliff. So that's a weird little bit of trivia. Um, well, so I'll, tell you, I'll tell you that night watching you from the stage at my first show, I thought, again, I thought this always happens, but I also thought, <laughs> I also thought it confirmed my suspicion because of the, the, those specific lyrics confirm my suspicion that, of course, fish had their own language and their own universe, you know? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get a little special guest out here at this moment right now. 
here to sing the first line that he ever wrote for a fish song. Would you please yes. welcome the one and only Mr. Tom Marshall? Sing it, Tom. Marco Escondolas. Being you to have any spike man. Exactly. <laughs> so we, we need a we need a fish scholar to tell tell us which actually was my first stage appearance with fish, but um, the reason that the fact that I had switched to from spleef to spike, and I think I I alternate in subsequent appearances, um, but that tells me that this is not my first time I did this. Um, and Trey had given me this uh, blanket idea where he said, anytime you're in the audience and we play antelope and you come to the side stage and if I catch your eye and give you a nod, come on and do this part, no matter where we are or when. And uh, I took him at, at his word, literally, uh, all the way up until 2012, when he didn't expect me and I, and I stormed the stage at SPAC. But that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever got a, a nod from him and went on anyway. But uh, that's, uh, you know, that was the last of those. That's amazing. Um, I gotta say, th this show and Benji, I'm sure you have additional thoughts. The th this show for me, I got a lot of play in my car. I mentioned at the beginning, you know, the radio broadcast is part of it, right? This, we just had these amazing, high quality tapes. Um, I remember driving around with a friend in probably 1995, listening to Reba, and since that one time when it really like hit me, it, it's really like my go-to Reba, which I, I don't, I don't, you know. There are a lot of great Rebos from 94, 95 and, and onward, but the sound quality, the, the way it hit me, and, and it's, a, it's a good version too, but this Reba always is, is sort of a go-to for me. I mean, the whole night has this flow to it, right? And, uh, yeah. and I mean, of course, we're going to get to the the big New Year's Eve show of the era, which was twelve thirty one ninety five. But I feel like there's a very similar parallel here. You know, there's there was that split open amount. There's the lizards, the sparkle, the way that the show flowed, and this is one of the reasons why I think that we're talking about this show to to this day. We're not talking about it because of the yad. Even though being there, the yad to me was like the thing that like you know blows your mind and you think about later on, you know, um, or at least you know from a, from a theatrical standpoint. But musically, I mean, you know, as we talked about the highlights earlier, the the peaches and and the, the down with the Z's jam, the spill open and mouth, the the run like an antelope, 
And then, of course, it also had uh, a Henrietta Fishman uh, moment and also confirming my suspicion that they have their own language. He came out with these symbols and on the one symbol was ah and on the other symbol was B. And so, of course, the song begins with an ah, ah, trapped one rosy. And then, of course, it culminates with a ba, 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 ba. So it held up both of the symbol, symbols. And I, I also, of course, thought, well, they must do this at every show. <laughs> they have the ba, the ba symbols. So, uh, the second fish, of, it, tell me it wasn't a letter. It had to have been a letter. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I mean, I dove in. I think I went on fish, you know, fish okay. net, rock music fish. And oh, good. I was well acclimated by by them. Because you, you arrived at like a, I mean, fish was hitting peaks all the time, but you arrived at arguably a peak at that moment. It's hard, yeah. it's hard to mean, come down off a peak, but fish was peaking that- constantly. That so twelve thirty one ninety two was a Boston show um, at, at Northeastern. That was probably that was the last New Year's Eve show without any gag, right? That was just like Trey counting down. So this this really kicked off a new tradition for Fish. And is there a better all Lang Syne transition than this? Because this it's so iconic and it, it's 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 like the segue is perfect. The energy is so so high and it's so fun to listen to. Still like to go back and just listen to that into the down with disease jam. Um, that do you remember what it was like in the arena for that moment? Because I assume, like you said, a lot of people didn't know what it was, but now when we listen back, it seems like it would have just everyone would have been losing their minds, but maybe people were more confused. No, it was it was uh glorious chaos in that. Well, at first for old lion sign, that's one that I knew, you know, every I mean, everybody knows that song, you know, and I I was kind of happy that they did it of course i was sitting by myself with my friends up in the 100s and then so everyone's you know doing their new year's kiss and they're hugging and their friends and they're saying happy new year's and i'm there going <laughs> you know um but it was cele- it was very celebratory and the down with disease jam you don't need to ever hear down with disease to know how celebratory and victorious that sounds it's kind of like designed that way, right? It sounds like a victory. It sounds like this just, you know, amazing thing. And so it sounded natural. I just thought that it was probably a piece of improvisation. And I think that a lot of people there, because it comes right out of the old lane sign. So it sounds like they're going right into some piece of improv. And that, and that later on, maybe you can, you know, I, I know that Fisher in, uh, at a later point in their career, would sometimes write songs by going into jams and finding riffs that they, you know, hit upon. So it's kind of sounded like that. It wasn't until a few months later that everyone realized that it was actually, you know, from a, a composition. And so uh, the the venue, as you said, RJ, it, it was a big venue for them. Uh, I remember that was part of the appeal for me going up for for them on New Year's. I took the train from Pennsylvania up to see them, and I was like, they're play- it, it was a big deal. Even I knew that it was a big deal that they were in an arena, and I was like, well, 
this is kind of this, this feels like a cultural moment that I have to be, you know, I have to see, I have to be a part of. And there was that feeling inside that room that night. Um, you know, people were dressed up for New Year's. Some people were dressed up in tutsas and like, you know, nice things like that. Other people were just dressed as the early version of the of the fish prototype. <laughs> but you know, celebratory. Uh, I, I feel like I don't know if people get dressed up for New Year's Eve like that anymore. The way that in that that night, I just remember a lot of people were really dressed up for the for you know uh, as if they're going to a New Year's Eve party, because they were. And um, and I remember the energy in that room was absolutely bonkers. You know, and I, I as I said, I I, I knew. You know, I, I'd never been to fish, but having been to the Grateful Dead, you're in a very parallel situation. The way that it might look without the without you know like uh, having any audio, just the way that it looks from afar. But in the room that night, it was it wasn't at all like a Grateful Dead concert because it was this very concerted energy, um, and just you know people just celebrating celebrating life. This uh, you talk about people dressing up. Um, my my form of dressing up is putting a button-down shirt over a T-shirt, and I possibly was wearing this one. This I had to dig way down into my drawer, and I found a 1.0 shirt that I very well might have been wearing as a T-shirt that night. And I have to go back and look at video of myself up on stage during uh, Antelope. But, uh, guys, can we talk about the night before Portland, Maine? I know you weren't there, Benji, but I'm sure you've listened a lot now. What are your thoughts about about that? You already mentioned the the, the Colonel Forbin narration and the specialness of that. Yeah, the, well, the Colonel Forbin narration. I mean, twelve thirty ninety three is a show that I must have gotten on tape very shortly after this New Year show. It was one of the first tapes that I got, and it was one of those ones that, along with twelve thirty one ninety three, is a prototype. You know, it 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 really is a great. Those two combined were a great. They're great companion pieces. They pair well because they show off all of the sides of fish. And I know that this entire. You know, by the way, even though I I I, I you know I make fun of myself for thinking that fish had this aquarium every night, they actually did have the aquarium every night of this tour, um, and that includes two two dates beforehand. One in one in Washington D.C. and one in New Haven which they also during those nights played Peaches and Regalia a lot and teased it and uh, an old lane sign in terms of making the, the New Year's one, uh, run one cohesive whole. But I, I feel that the, the show 1230 in, in Maine, the Forbin narration to me was really, I just, you know, like how original of a thing, no other band was doing anything like that. Uh, it really, you know, it, it, it appealed to the theatrical, uh, it appealed to, you know, the spectacle side of things and uh and also the the mites from that night but i i really think that as rj was saying the david bowie from that night is heads and shoulders above any it, it was such a great punctuation on the period by also putting its best foot forward and coming up with some of the best versions of these songs to to date you know to that date Yeah, absolutely. Just incredible run of shows. I mean, th those two shows back to back and coming off, like we talked about, an amazing year, you know, before those, the DC, New Haven, Portland and, and Worcester shows was the last show before that was the Greek, the Greek show from August, right? Which was another amazing show. So they were just really, as as Brad Sands kind of said in uh, about the, the May 8th show, they were just, they were just on fire the entire show. I mean, they played 
hundreds of shows and every I mean not everyone but the the ratio of amazing shows is is really high for this this era it is and they as you just said RJ they had off that fall um and they finished the the Greek theater out west and then I believe I'd have to look this up to confirm it but I believe they must have been working on hoist then during that period you know and then of course because the hoist was released just a few months later after these shows and uh, and down with disease was was the showcase piece that they kind of did in a very fishy fashion uh debuted it in a way that nobody knew they were they were debuting it so awesome i i just before we wrap up i just we haven't really talked about set 2 of 1231 and just the bookends of a, a great tweezer and a great you enjoy myself is uh I mean, just a great three set show, but those uh, and, and a great hood to to kind of close the the third set before Tweezer reprise. It's just an amazing. I'm really glad I got to go back to the show, even though I've listened to it so many times. But it's always such a thrill. Going back to the show uh, for our listeners, by the way, uh, is worth it for that hood. Uh, the hood is is a, a dark horse. It, it gets forgotten about, you know, because there are so many amazing hoods out there. But it's really worth listening to. is uh, going to be an amazing show. If uh, all this music is mixed in, that would be an endless, endless show. I, I know that the, you know, our editor, Matt, is going to put in uh, a few musical selections, uh, which we don't know what they are right now. I'm, I can't wait to listen to this episode to hear if he, you know, what, what suggestions he takes. Um, and that's kind of the interesting thing about us. Well, we're a good team here, and uh, we've got it It's going to be a Vincent Sullivan, isn't it? A little with a little roundabout tease. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there was a yes tease. Uh, where was that? Oh, no, that wasn't. That was um, St- Starship Trooper. Uh, where was that? Um, it was acoustic. And I think that was last episode. Last episode show. Sorry about that. Um, anyway, thank, thank you, Benji, and thank you, RJ, um, and thanks everyone out there in podcast land for joining us. Whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on your stereo, remember to review and subscribe wherever you listen or watch. We'll see you in 15 minutes or at least a couple days. Until then, don't do anything we wouldn't do. And thank you, Benji, and thank you, RJ. Osiris. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. 
tag team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast.